You're listening to Bloomberg Law with June Grasso from Bloomberg Radio. President Trump's legal team finished presenting its defense today on their third day of arguments in the Senate impeachment trial. Here's Trump's attorney, Jay Sekulow. To have, have a removal of a duly elected president based on a policy disagreement? That is not what the framers intended. And if you lower the bar that way, danger, danger, danger. My guest is Josh Blackman, a professor at the South Texas College of Law. Last night, Alan Dershowitz cited you. (laughs) Yep. You left. Tell us what he said and whether he was correct in the way he interpreted what you have written. Well, first off, I wasn't actually listening to it live. I was giving a lecture at the University of Oregon Law School. In the middle of my lecture, my phone started exploding, and I got all these emails and texts people were sending that Dershowitz name dropped me. So after my talk, I had to go back and, and you know watch the video. Last week, I had published an op-ed in the New York Times, and the op-ed explained that what President Trump was doing was politics. It was not an abuse of power. And I offered one example to put Trump's actions into context. During the Civil War, there was an election being held in Indiana, and the Republican government in Indiana was in jeopardy of being thrown out. And President Lincoln worried that if Indiana fell out of Republican power, they would no longer support the war effort. As a result, Lincoln wrote a letter to General Sherman. And Lincoln told Sherman, can you please let the Indiana soldiers go home and vote for the Republican Party? That is, take them off the front line and let them go vote. Lincoln recognized that this action would put the troops in in peril. But he was the commander-in-chief, and he could give this order. And he was also the leader of the Republican Party, and he didn't want his party out of power because that would have injured the nation. Um, I didn't offer this example to compare Lincoln to Trump. I think that's a, a gross, <laughs> that's a gross analogy on many levels. My point is that presidents routinely use their official power as a means to advance, directly or indirectly, political futures. And what happens with Lincoln and Trump? Well, people agree or disagree on the value, but these are not unconstitutional abuses of power. Okay, well, I wrote the op-ed. It got a lot of feedback, got a lot of blowback. And then last night around 8.30 p.m. in prime time, Alan Dershowitz said, and let me read an article from Professor Blackman. And he spent about a minute and a half reading from my article and saying he agreed with me. What can I say? I agree with Dersh. I think he made the right argument, but it was very surprising to hear. And uh, I'm flattered, honored, and shocked all at once. You agree with Dershowitz saying the founders meant impeachment to be used for explicitly criminal acts such as treason or bribery? No, I I don't. I I don't agree with Dershowitz entirely. Dershowitz argued that the only offenses that can be impeachable are actual criminal offenses. I don't think he's right about that. But where Dershowitz and I agree is on what is not impeachable. And I think merely using official acts to help yourself politically is not an abuse of power. It might be bad politics. It would be something the voters can consider. But I don't think it warrants removal from office. Do you think the Democrats have presented a case for impeachment? Well, there are two articles. One is based on the abuse of power. The second is based on what's called obstruction of Congress. I don't, I don't have a strong opinion on the second one, but I'll focus on the first one. Um, uh, the first one, even if we assume the facts are true, that uh, President Trump withheld the money uh, in order to get the Ukrainians to investigate Biden, uh, his political opponent, even if the facts are as pleaded, 
Um, I don't think that would be an abuse of power. I think it was terrible judgment, and I think it was a, a huge mistake, and I've said so many times. But I don't think the, the benefit Trump received, the political uh, impact of investigation, that doesn't trigger the, uh, the, 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 the impeachment requirement for our Constitution. So you are in the minority of constitutional scholars Huge on this. Huge minority, which is probably why Dirk had to quote me. There wasn't anyone else to quote. <laughs> uh, but uh, hey, look, I know, my, I, know my, I know my audience, right? Right. No, so- I, I, think, I think I'm in the minority positions, but I'll tell you that I've been getting a, a quite large number of attorneys who agree with me, uh, but who perhaps keep their mouth shut because it's not a very popular thing to do. Uh, defending President Trump is never a popular thing in most quarters. Um, I don't even defend President Trump. I think his actions were uh, 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 quite inappropriate. He shouldn't have done it. But that's a decision for the ballot box, not one for the impeachment uh, trial. Now one of the questions, which has always been the question, is witnesses. And we have the manuscript of former National Security Advisor John Bolton's upcoming book. Today, Trump attorney Jay Sekulow urged the Senate to ignore the leaks about Bolton's book, saying, quote, you cannot impeach a president on an unsourced allegation. Well, doesn't that lead then to the answer, why not call him as a witness then? Right. The timing of this Bolton, bolt of lightning, you might call it, is very convenient. The manuscript was released right at the start of the president's case, a couple days before votes will be held on whether witnesses should be called. You know, June, I can't tell you if we'll have witnesses called or not. Uh, What I probably will tell you is nothing will change. I think Bolton will more or less tell you what the House managers have been accusing the president of. I'm not sure that changes any votes. For my position, I've assumed the House managers are right on the facts, and I've assumed the president made the order to withhold the money in exchange for uh, the investigation of the Bidens. I've just assumed those are the facts. Even what Bolton's saying it's true wouldn't really affect how I view the situation. So now the next phase is 16 total hours of senators' questions from both sides. What kind of questions do you expect to hear? Or what kind Um, of questions would be beneficial? Well, you know, I think think we'll have – I don't think the questions will be very useful. I, I think that this case has been litigated to death. I don't know that there are any, there's anything left to discuss unless there are new witnesses who can give new information. Um, in, in terms of what the senators will ask, I think the Republicans will ask questions about Hunter Biden. They'll ask questions about Joe Biden. They'll ask Adam Schiff about why he talked to the whistleblower, whether he talked to the whistleblower. Um, I think there'll be Republicans trying to make political points. Um, what are the, the Democratic senators going to ask? Uh, they'll probably ask stuff about, about uh, Joe Biden. I'm sorry, about um, John Bolton. They'll ask about um, Mick Mulvaney. I don't think the questions will be particularly useful, but you know that that's their prerogative to ask these questions. Do you think there should be witnesses? I'm mixed, and let me let me uh, speak out loud for a minute. Um, I think that the House would have been the good place to have witnesses. Um, I think the House would have been the appropriate form to develop a record, which then can be considered in the Senate. Uh, but, of course, the witnesses refused to testify before the House, so they couldn't do it. Uh, they did not issue subpoenas and tried to enforce them in court. They could have, but they chose not to. Um, but there's nothing preventing witnesses from being called in the Senate. I don't know that the, the new information will help resolve anything, so I'm I'm kind of mixed on the, 
on the question of um, uh, witnesses. I, I, I go back and forth. So former Obama administration Supreme Court advocate Neil Katyal, Georgetown University law professor Joshua Geltzer, and Mickey Edwards, a former Republican senator from Oklahoma, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times saying that the chief justice can do more than just have a ceremonial role, that um, he can issue subpoenas on his own authority, and he could break a 50-50 tie among senators. First of all, can he do that? Probably. Um, we do have one precedent. We've only had two presidential impeachments at which the chief justice presides. But in 1868, uh, uh, Andrew Johnson, the president, was impeached. And we had a, a impeachment trial that was presided over by Salmon Chase, the chief justice at the time. Uh, on a couple occasions, I think two occasions, Chief Justice Chase broke ties. And the Senate seemed to accept that. Uh, because generally the presiding officer can break any ties in the body. I don't know that Roberts would. Uh, if there's a 50-50 tie, he could, or he could simply say, I decline to vote, in which case the motion is defeated. So I, I let me take a step back and respond to the op-ed you mentioned. I think it's almost a fantasy that people think John Roberts will save this trial. Um, he does not want to do anything. He wants to just move things along. Roberts's boss was named Chief Justice Rehnquist. That's what he clerked for back in the day. Rehnquist presided at the Clinton impeachment trial. And Rehnquist said of his job, I, I did nothing at all. I did it particularly well. I think Roberts uses up the same fashion. Just move things along and don't get involved in controversial decisions. I think that's, that's where Roberts will come down in this. What's your general take on what you've seen so far of the impeachment trial? I think the House, I think the House managers have done a very good job I don't say that lightly because I don't agree with their charge. I think Adam Schiff has been, for the most part, an excellent attorney. I think he has really uh, made a compelling case why people should vote against Donald Trump. I don't think he's made the case of why he should be removed from office, but this is a great statement of why you should vote for another candidate. Um, I think the president's lawyers have had a different function. Um, their role has not been to necessarily make legal arguments. Their role has been to tarnish and taint this proceeding as a sort of political hoax, this witch hunt. I think they've done that effectively as well. Uh, both sides are playing to their bases. I mean, even consider the timing, June. The president had all day Saturday to make arguments. His lawyer made two hours of arguments. Why? Ratings are dead on Saturday. Instead, they waited for Monday. And in fact, Dershowitz came up prime time, 8 p.m., yes, yes. to to make his argument. That's when he announced my uh, uh, um, that that that's when he announced my, my my article. So I mean, there were probably tens of millions of people watching him talk about my stuff, which is sort of surreal. But I think they've been uh, 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 leading this process in a political fashion, and that's probably the best way to accomplish it. I think that's what they're I think that's what they're trying to do, and they accomplished it. Let me ask you something about Dershowitz in particular. He taught criminal law, and he was a famous criminal defense attorney. Now he's presenting himself as a constitutional law scholar. I mean, the weight of authority is against him. Well, as for Dershowitz being a criminal professor, he teaches criminal procedure, which is very constitutionalist oriented. Um, but I think, I think more importantly, scholars are allowed to change their minds. Um, they can revisit questions, and I think people can reasonably disagree. Most people think I'm wrong. Most people think I'm dead wrong. I've gotten awful emails and awful tweets from lots of law professors, and I, I respect their opinions, but I, I hold a different one. Um, 
In terms of the specifics, Dershowitz in the 1990s made a statement that wasn't really relevant. Clinton was charged with perjury and an obstruction of justice. Those are established crimes. At the time, it was irrelevant whether or not you need to charge a crime because it was a crime. Only now with Trump for the first time, we have a situation where the president's being charged with this sort of nebulous abuse of power claim. And that led Dershowitz to investigate. Um, he's a bit of a heterodox. He takes different positions and different elements. I think at bottom, he's a civil libertarian. So I, I don't begrudge him. I don't fault him. I think he made a decision. I, I don't agree with him on, on this specific, but I, I don't think he's unqualified. And he made his case well. I think he uh, uh, represented the president with a plum. Thanks, Josh. That's Josh Blackman, a professor at the South Texas College of Law.